Several formative experiences have shaped DC and Baltimore-based artist Zoe Charlton's career and inspired her work. Growing up, she was a frequent visitor to her grandmother's blue house and wooded property in the Florida Panhandle, a place that was dense with growth and large with memory, where extended family frequently gathered. At Florida State University, one of Charlton's mentors, the late Ed Love, told her to make sure you study with people who look like you. He knew something that she didn't fully understand at the time, that by being intentional about who you surround yourself with, you are building a community, a concept that would increasingly become more important in her art and in her life. More recently, Charlton purchased from a Baltimore antique store a life-sized African figure from Cameroon and named it Sib, because she immediately identified the sculpture as a sibling or as kin. She calls it her doppelganger. These memories and moments have led to Charlton's latest exhibition, Rendition, which addresses cultural identity, race, commodity, and cultural tokenism. In conversation with Angela Carroll and Christy Maselman, Zoe discusses the inspirations and context she drew on for Rendition. The exhibit is on view in Cultural DC's Mobile Art Gallery now through March 22nd. The gallery, which is a renovated shipping container, is outside the main entrance to Union Market at 1309 5th Street Northeast. Charlton works from studios in both DC and Baltimore and has served on the faculty of the American University Art Department for 16 years, including as chair. She received her MFA degree from the University of Texas at Austin and BFA in painting and drawing from Florida State University. She's participated in residencies in San Antonio and Baltimore and her work has been included in national and international group exhibitions, including at the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, the Harvey B. Gantt Center, the Contemporary Art Museum in Houston, and the Studio Museum of Harlem. Public collections include the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, Birmingham Museum of Art, the Studio Museum in Harlem, and the Phillips Collection in Washington, D.C. She was also an animator for Flat Black Films in Austin, Texas, and currently holds a seat on the Maryland State Arts Council and is a co-founder of Syndicate, an artist project space in Baltimore. Angela N. Carroll is an artist archivist, a purveyor and an investigator of art history and culture. She received her MFA in digital arts in new media from the University of California at Santa Cruz and currently teaches within the film and moving image program at Stevenson University in Baltimore, Maryland. So I'm really excited to be in conversation um, with you both uh, about your latest exhibition entitled Rendition. Rendition. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about, because I'm most familiar with your history of working in figurative portraiture. Um, so what inspired you to evolve from figurative portraiture, and do you consider it an evolution, right? Because that's a strange word to use, uh, into sculpture, into three-dimensional forms? Yeah. Well, so um, the first thing is, so I, I work, I make drawings of people and often they look like people, um, but I don't always consider them portraits, um, mainly because I am not always engaging with the history of portraiture, what it means to have someone sit in front of you and create a likeness of them. Uh, that has a very different intention that has something to do with uh, power often and um, or memorializing someone and even though some of those those ideas are important to me I don't approach my drawings through that particular historical lens uh, but with that said a lot of the people that I drew draw look exactly like them and that's really important because I'm making drawings primarily of black women so rendition came about from uh, a statue a statue that I found in an antique store probably now about seven years ago six seven years ago and I wanted I wanted her for a different reason a different kind of project but the experience that I had when I saw her was one of looking at I mean, looking in a mirror and um, and I always want to make drawings of people who look like me black women 
So it was very important for me in this exhibition to treat her differently than I would when somebody's in my studio. So I wanted to make very physical uh, renditions of her as opposed to drawings of her. It was important that she was in a physical, she occupied not just a kind of visual space, but an actual physical space. So the masks, though, the masks that we see in the exhibition show up in the work as collages before they become three-dimensional. So talk about that evolution, since we're using the word evolution. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about evolution. Um, because certainly the way they're represented in the collages is very different than the way that you've chosen to represent them in the, in the exhibition. Well, so, you know, we were talking earlier about abstraction, and I think a photograph is an abstraction of someone. Um, anything that is not an actual version of someone is in some way an abstraction. It's something that becomes flattened or mediated. And I tend to think that anything that becomes mediated becomes an abstraction of someone in some form or fashion. So in the collages, I'm taking images, I'm, I'm appropriating images of masks that I find online. I print them out scan them, print them larger, or find them online, print them out larger, and collage them into these other larger motifs. And that's a very different experience than taking an actual mask, making a mold of it, and then making a cast of it, right? And so it sits in space differently. Um, it's not a simulation of something, it's an actual thing. Um, hmm, yeah. So then what is it about the masks in the way that they're shown in the materiality, right? So they're in the color, like talk, you know, maybe let's talk about like why, why you've chosen to represent them in a way that's clearly very different than the way they're generally seen or generally intended to be seen. Well, I think... Or that, their purpose even. Right. I think that that goes back to the original question, which is, um, I... I make drawings. I make drawings, and I've been really thinking about uh, the materials or the objects that I use in those drawings or what I'm referencing. And I've been referencing these masks for a long time. They've shown up in different bodies of work uh, where black women are wearing the masks, white women are wearing the masks, white men are carrying the masks, or just drawings of the masks themselves. And I really started to think, well, wait a minute, why not actual, actually deal with the actual object? Um, and, um, and that's something that I very rarely do. I, I don't make objects. And I wanted a different kind of experience uh, with the work itself. I think that there's something that happens when you do things in the way that you normally do them, and you have to challenge yourself to move outside of expected ways of working and ways of thinking. And making actual objects was a way for me to think differently about my subject. There's a way in which the objects feel very personal. Um, and they are in some ways sort of bucking against um, the historical narrative of what um, an African object is, right? And what a mask is, what a sculpture is, right? The sort of homogenization that goes into um, and fetishizing, that goes into um, uh, creating, you know, making a continent a country, right? Um, and so can you talk a little bit about, first, I'm, I'm interested in your, you are constantly referencing African bodies and African antiquities in really interesting ways. Um, can you talk about why it was important for you to name the sculpture um, Sib? So I, I have a twin. And I, I, and my brother is a lovely person, and um, but when I saw her, I thought, I think she might be me. Her is in Sib. Sib, the statue. So when I met the statue, she was very much a real thing. She was actually occupying the same kind of space that I am, and um, and I felt like she was some kind of kin. She was my sister. So I named her Sib for sibling. And um, 
And it wasn't that she was just any kind of kin. She was a specific kind of kin because we had the same hairstyle. We were the same height. We had the same forehead and the same kind of chin at the time that jutted out. And I was really excited about that. And um, I wanted to learn more about her. And so it wasn't enough that she was just an African statue, but she's an African statue from Cameroon. And that was really important because I could actually identify where she came from, um, her country of origin. And when I think about um, myself and my family, you know, I would say, well, we're from the United States. But when I look farther back, I can't really tell where we're from. It's hard to uh, find out that part of our history. And so in a sense, our country of origin is really up in the air. And, but that I could name her so specifically and so clearly is a real comfort and is something that I think a lot of uh, black families from the United States can't do. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, um, it, it feels like the duplication of her form speaks to that kind of erasure of identity, mm-hmm. right? Um, can you talk about that a little bit more? So I wanted to make a bunch of her. I wanted to make a bunch of me, basically. And, um, and it was important that she was not alone, that she has a family, she has um, a lineage. Um, when I look at my family, I can see my lineage a certain number of generations. Um, and we could probably figure out hers because of where she's from. But I wanted her to physically have a lineage, even if I had to make them myself, right? Um, But she needed a family and she needed company. Um, And it just so happened that six were made, only six were made, um, that I only made six. And and that was, I think that that is pretty significant when um, I come from a small family, immediate family but my extended family is very large. My dad was the oldest out of 14. My mother was the youngest out of nine, and there's only two of us. And I needed her to have a large family. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I think, Zoe, I've known your work for a long time, and I've seen references of your family over the years in the work, whether mm-hmm. it's like your grandmother's home or these like suburban homes. Um, I, I've seen this like change in your work, but I think for the first time, there's this, with Sib, there's this much more direct reference of you in the work. So do you want to talk about, I mean, especially as a, you know, we're not, we're talking about portraiture a little bit, but again, that's not, you've never drawn yourself. You've never really incorporated your body into the work. And I think this is the first time that your body is part of the work in well, some ways, right? Well, my body is a part of the work because of size, right? So she's 60 inches tall. I'm 60 inches tall. That's really, it's important. She's my stand-in. She's my doppelganger. And so, yeah, you're right. I actually don't have any self-portraits of myself outside of what I, I did in high school. Mm-hmm. And actually, I only have two, two, and I still have them. So, um, which I think is really significant. Um, I always think that I want to make drawings of myself or paintings of myself, and I don't. But when I saw Sib, I didn't need to, but I needed to make duplicates of her, mm-hmm. which is also a stand-in for me. But I needed to make more of her in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about, when I talk about things like that, I'm really talking about a kind of visibility that uh, that a lot of women like me, black women, experience on a daily basis. And so how did I make Sib more visible? How did I make myself more visible? By making more versions of her. Mm-hmm. Right, invisibility and ways of representing representing representation are um, kind of core to a lot of the things that I do. Yeah, sticking with Sib a little bit because I think she's such a compelling figure. Um, the duplication of her form also brought to mind for me the history of sort of factories, mass production um, that she's made out of plastic. 
um, kind of accessible um, material, but also drawing that or correlating that with the, the history of commoditizing black bodies, right? That um, Africans historically have been used as, um, via chattel slavery, the transatlantic slave trade, have been seen as a means through which to uh, gain or garner capital, mm -hmm. right? And so are, are you referencing all of those things as well? You know, I, th I think I am. Um, Sib is made out of plastic or foam, but basically a polyurethane material. That's a very cheap material. And uh, when things are duplicated, mass produced, it's because they're made cheaply. And I think that there's something in the material that I've used to sort of make her out of this cheap material that is also, uh, you know, plastic is disposable. But at the same time, her size and the context that she's shown in adds value. And so even if plastic is a cheap material or uh, black folks were considered disposable, uh, were and sometimes still are, that context shifts value. And so I'm very aware, I'm so acutely aware of the way that my value shifts depending on the context that I'm in. And I am acutely aware of the way that folks are responding to me. And I think about those kinds of economies all the time. Um, my job makes me do that. My industry makes me do that. Um, and so if there are more like me, that increases the value. Sib's value is increased because she's also in a gallery context. She's also being shown in a space that is all about commodity. This show is at Union Market, and it's not, it's, it's not a, uh, a mistake that this work is there because I'm talking about the commodification of black bodies and also of Africanness, what that means. Um, and what that means to black folks and non-black folks mm -hmm. as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how the collaboration between um, Cultural DC and and you came about? Yeah. Yeah. How did it come about? It came about because Zoe and I have known each other for a very long time. It's been a long time. Um, probably more than 12 years. Mm -hmm. And so I have seen the work um, evolve um, and change and grow. I mean, I think that's what's so exciting is that like I've kind of been on the sidelines, involved, not involved, and then um, you know we've become great friends. And I've you know we've stayed in touch all these years. We've been doing studio visits all these years. We have some of Zoe's work in our home, um, which is very significant for us. And um, yeah, and so I I knew that there was there would be a day that uh, we would want to that I've always wanted to do a project with Zoe. And I think when the opportunity came and this idea of union market was an opportunity or was an option, I think when we started seeing these masks, um, it kind of started to fall into place. Yeah, it made a lot, it makes a ton of sense. So just to say that the drawings that you have in your home are 60 inches tall. It, well, the paper is 60 inches tall. And so I typically work on that, that's a standard size and then it goes up from there and um and that was from a series called the undercover series and i had done that work for probably about four solid years and um and it was inspired by a movie called imitation of life 1934 piola's dilemma that's what i've nicknamed it piola's dilemma and um and actually you have the only two that are standing in that way and they're full bodies they're standing tall and um so you have seen the work evolve in a lot of different ways. I mean, they've taken a lot of different paths and from the drawings on paper to the collages and uh, to the sculptural objects. Um, but yeah, you saw the masks early on actually. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so the mask definitely made sense for Union Market because I'm squarely talking about commodity, um, how certain objects are commodified. Sure. But those figures, that was the, the statue, mm -hmm. right? That was the new thing, yeah. right? Um, and so uh, when Christy said that the show was going to be at Union Market and I had the statue, 
And I thought, I really want to make multiples of her. But sometimes if you don't have an idea of the space that you can do it in, you might not be motivated to do it. I mean, you know, so I'm sitting there with a statue of Sib, and I really want to make multiples, but I wouldn't do it because that's going to take up a ton of space, and where am I going to show that? And so it made a lot of sense for that to happen for this show. Right. I mean, I think that's part of the goal of the mobile art gallery is that, you know, we're not we're not our traditional gallery space. We're trying to offer a platform for artists to take risks and to mm-hmm. try new things. And I think for Zoe, this was like so out of her comfort zone. I feel like it's been a journey the last three months to get these things produced. Holy um, cow. But it's, it's <laughs> and, and I think we, we both learned a lot. I know Zoe has learned so much about making sculptures and pouring molds and all kinds of things. But I feel like I've been there with her the whole time. And I think it's, um, for me, it's been really exciting to see how the work has grown in that way. And I think that it's really important to, to note too that um, that the collage is still very much a part of this work that mm-hmm. the sculpture itself doesn't it, it doesn't stand outside of that work no in a, in a way and no it's... no it doesn't and you know even the the large-scale collages have uh, the bottom half of the collages that you're referencing it are from a larger series called the compromise and and those bodies are life-size even if they're the pelvis of the figures and so um since everything is life-size, the statues are definitely a, definitely a part of that because I'm working life-size, I'm working my size. Uh, and what were you going to no, say? No, I was going to say, you've also created a print, which oh. in some way when we talk about rendition and duplication, not only are you doing it for the first time as a sculpture, you've also created a print that you've worked with the team to help create. And that's a, that's been a whole nother process of creating multiples, which is new to you. It is, you know, but here's the, the wild thing. I always work in series. There's always five, seven, 10, 12 drawings in, you know, of the same kind of person. And, uh, and sometimes when I work in lithography, I'll make a litho print and then I'll add one small element. But I, but I have never worked in a way where I've had a singular type of image and then I just edit one little thing on it and so that's the exciting thing about the print mm-hmm. and um i think that that is also what i've done with these masks and this sculpture mm-hmm. right there are slight variations in them all because of the way that the mold was made or the the casts were pulled um one of one of the sibs has a missing chin <laughs> because it was a miscast and i had to add it to her you know and so yeah yeah the print is is really beautiful. I don't think I've worked with as many people as I have before in this project. I there were so many hands in this project. It was amazing. So there were two printmakers, um, at least five people. Well, I take that back. About eight people involved in the making of this sculpture, and and then you know and then I made all the masks. But it was just. There were so many hands and so many folks. I think it's been interesting to watch you figure out how to deal with that material, both the material in the sculpture, right? Because that's a new thing, plastic, and then working with these bright colors, but also even in the print and trying to figure out a way to take the elements of your collages, right? Your fascination with these stickers, right? And figure out how to translate those in different ways Mm -hmm. um, to in some ways make them accessible, right? And make them accessible to more people and or relatable. I don't know if that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, accessibility is important because I want a lot of people to see the work, but it really is accessibility in um, how people understand the work. So the smaller collages um, have stickers in them. And so what I hope is that when people see the small collages, they say, oh, I think I know exactly where that comes from. If you're a scrapbooker, you know it because those are all the things that are in Michael's and AC Moore. And, um, and that kind of familiarity is really important because that um, creates a level of, of comfort and playfulness and et cetera. And for the larger collages, I'm taking those smaller elements, those stickers, and I'm just scanning them and printing them out bigger. And I want the same thing to happen with these sculptures that you might recognize them if you go to museums 
you see them in museums or you look at art history books and there's something familiar about them. And then to see them in this context, you're, they're, they're, and the way that they're painted, they're very playfully painted. They're in bright colors. They have shiny surfaces. They have these drips and things that happen that, um, that happen on a, in expressive abstract paintings. Um, and I think that there's something very familiar about that and something accessible about that. I think that in all of the work, there is a level of familiarity that brings people in. And that's really important. Well, I think it's too, sorry, I, you're talking about a body and the women that, for the most part, that you are drawing are a lot of women. It's not a typical skinny, scrawny model figure. You're, you're like drawing real women. Well, I hope people say that because I think that they're real women. They're the women that I'm around the most. And um, yeah, they're women that are in my family, right? That have bodies like this. But I think they're bodies that people can relate to. Well, I hope that they can. It's interesting because you're saying that, you're saying that there are bodies that people can relate to. And I would say, yes, we see examples of ourselves and other people everywhere. And we're like, oh yeah, large, small, tall, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but what we see reproduced in magazines and on television is a very kind of typical kind of skinny, thin body, typically white, et cetera. And so lots of bodies are familiar. What it is is like which bodies are valued, mm -hmm. right? And we talk about the economies of bodies. I talk about the economies of bodies, right? And so I think that that becomes, that becomes the, the shift, right? Right. I appreciate that your work sort of engages a kind of satire to talk about these larger issues, right? Um, like valuation, colonization, power, abjection, consumption. I'm curious about what the response of a lot of people who have seen the work um, has been through, you know, through the mobile gallery. Are they drawn to the masks because of the colors, right? Do they, um, are they offended by you know the decontextualization of the masks? Like, what's the response of the people been? So, uh, because it's in a commercial space, people walk in. They're just really curious. They're like, "What's this here?" But people in general have been very excited about it, and uh, and surprised. Like, what's this doing here? But also just really excited because of the color, because they're so playful. Um, I have other thoughts about that, right? Um, about how that is consumed, you know? Um, it's like if Disney remade the African Museum, what would, you know what I mean? Not that that's what that is, but like imagine what that might be, right? How consumable these images and objects would, they would be more easily consumed. Mm -hmm. But people are really excited about them because they are playful and I'm excited, I like that. I like the way that people are engaging with them um, because it actually does something that I want it to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so when, uh, so yesterday is a great example. Um, there are a lot of different kinds of people that have come in. So, and uh, one, um, one person, Rob Farrell, he stopped by, he's a photographer based in Baltimore, um, black man, black radical, person and he um and uh he got it immediately he said this is about consuming culture this is about um uh playing with the idea of accessibility right what makes someone a body more consumable than another mm -hmm. right and um and i appreciated how directly he got to that and another example is um, a group of friends walked in, um, Sarah and Dave walked in and they looked at the work and, and she recognized uh, the style of masks as like thong. And she said, I get this and Sarah's white. And she said, this is a really interesting conversation about colonization and commodity and, um, and um, and movement and mobility, and she got it immediately. And I said, yes, exactly, that's what it is. And so she said, and how do I sit with this? How do I sit with this as a white person who teaches art history lessons? And, and Rob said, yeah, how do you do this? And we're always talking about decolonizing our curriculum. So what does that mean? 
when you have an object that looks like this. Mm -hmm. And so um, people come from come to it with a lot of different ideas and and um, and responses depending on where they're where they are in their lives and what their profession is. Mm -hmm. um, but on the whole, it's been really positive. Yeah. I think the installation is really, it's a lot for people that haven't seen it. I mean, it's 40 masks and I think they're not all hung straight. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're hung, some of them are upside down yeah. and we can talk about that. I think it's interesting. Somebody said to us at the opening, well, do you know what it means? Like the fact that some of them are hanging upside down. Do you know what that means? That she's like inviting these spirits in. Mm -hmm. And so there's this whole other level of conversations that are happening around that, mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating. Um, well, so uh, the, the masks are painted in bright colors because it starts to also flatten them, mm -hmm. right? It's another kind of shorthand, right? Right. Um, and, but if you're looking at the masks carefully, you start to see these identifying features. It's Fong, Bembe, uh, Loma, um, Loma Toma, um, so it just depends. Um, and then if they're, when I turn them upside down, I'm really thinking about other levels of abstraction. What's another way to push it even farther away from that kind of specificity, right? The thing that I find is that whether if, you, if they're painted really bright, if they're turned upside down, if you slow down and really look at them, you start to see these identifying characteristics. You know that they're not just some kind of shape, mm -hmm. that there is an imprint of a kind of wood grain or there are holes on the side that make, hopefully make people think that this is made from something, some actual object, right? And I think about that in terms of the way that we look at, we sort of run up against other people and we abstract people that we see, right? We look at the different kinds of markers that they have and use a kind of visual shorthand and say, you're about this. And when we spend more time thinking or looking or talking with them, then these specificity emerges, right? Mm -hmm. Their specificity emerges. Yeah. I think that's interesting because as soon as you said that, I thought about the work that I have at our house with that's from the Undercover series, uh -huh. which is these figures wearing plan hoods, Yeah. right? So you think about this these, these hidden meanings, right? Mm -hmm. And these, the hiding who you really are and these underlying, it's interesting mm -hmm. how that's, and you that start thread to, starts to come through the work. Yeah. And then also um, looking more at those drawings, the hair is very particular. Mm -hmm. These women have afros, right? The shape of the legs are particular, right? Mm -hmm. um, that they are, these are definitely black women's bodies that I can see, I mm -hmm. can tell that they are. And you know those things are really important, mm -hmm. but there's also something important in the way that they're standing, mm -hmm. right? Um, I always think that the way that people better understand that undercover series is by watching *Imitation of Life*. Mm -hmm. Like it's important because it points to that, right? That specific time period, but also things that a lot of people still experience now: assimilation, passing, right? right. Some masking that's going on. Yeah. Oh, well, look at the world we're living in. Oh, my God. I mean, well, let's not go there. But um, <laughs> especially as we talk about the work, I think that there's, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a way that we have to go there, right? Yeah, kind um, of. Like, because yeah. the work goes there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? um, can you talk a little bit about, and I was really kind of impressed with, and I don't know if this was intentional, the, the sort of double entendre of the fetish, right? That you are uh, engaging objects that have been labeled or dubbed fetish mm -hmm. as sacred objects, right? But you are also engaging in the sort of fetishizing of African culture mm -hmm. and of black bodies mm -hmm. in particular. Um, talk to me about how that correlation works for you, um, sort of combining the sacred and the sexual and the playful and the kitsch mm -hmm. because of the colors as well in the, in the sculpture works that you're creating. Mm -hmm. Well, so... Um I have a lot of fetishes. Like I love a lot of <laughs> that. Are, actually, let's take that one. Just take that as a clip and just play that let's out. Unpack like, that. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I do. You know, it's so interesting. There are a lot of things that um, that uh, I am like uber fascinated with, and um, and and kind of addicted to, like visually addicted to, and want to consume. And and for me, a fetish is something that is you 
like one always has to have around. I always want it around and I want to see it. I want to hold it. I want to touch it. All of those things. And sometimes they are, they are objects that I uh, view as sacred that are really important to um, who I've become and how I am. And sometimes they are um, just like sort of physically, bodily, like sacred, right? Or important. And, um, and so a lot of the earlier work dealt with the, um, or they were sexualized representations of black women. And, and they were fetishized views or reflections on fetishized views, view, uh, views of black women. So, they, so a lot of the women would be, I would draw them in certain kinds of poses, et cetera, put different kinds of props on them, tie things around them, strap things on them um, as a way to talk about a kind of fetishization of this black woman's body, um, but in 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 these, I'm thinking about how a fetish actually works in an object, how an object is actually imbued with the a kind of power or assumed to have power that I think butts up against the material that it's made out of, right? Um, but it also can talk about other belief systems like. Yorba, like Santeria, where you take objects that are from like everyday things, like a Barbie could be, you know, and the way that Barbie is dressed could be a representation of Yemanya, mm -hmm. you know, so it just depends. Um, but I'm also interested in ideas of kitsch, like those things that seem to be uh, like particular markers of an era that are also very playful, almost campy, but we kind of like them, but they also, um, there's something that's kind of ironic about them or satirical, that's all wrapped up into an object and, how, and what it's made out of, that's a very kitschy object, and these things can be seen as that too. I mean, my mom had um, African-esque objects in her house, and I remember asking her, I was like, where is this from? And she says, oh, I don't know. I mean, where'd you buy it? And she might have gotten it at World Market, for example, right? Well, World Market is not selling things that are particular, necessarily particular to a country. They are a, a, confl a conflation of African aesthetics and African ideas, et cetera, that are kind of packed into one little thing and then sold. And, um, and I realized that uh, non-black folks, white folks, and even black folks uh, approach objects in that same way, African objects in that way, what we think Africa stands for, mm -hmm. looks like, right? Um, you know, some, I joke around sometimes and say it's it's like, you know, Black Panther gone wild, right? <laughs> you know, the movie Gone Wild, and I and I think that, you know, I'm I'm really curious about why my mother had these objects in her house, like why, mm -hmm. and what did it really represent for her? You know, um, what did wearing certain kinds of clothing mean for her at certain times of the year, right? You know why I even do things like this too, and um, yeah. So you know, I'm in a space where I consume a lot of images and objects that are African, and in these cases, like from Cameroon or from Nigeria or from um, South Africa or from Ghana. Um, and my attachment to them is about the way that they look, mm -hmm. right? And uh, that's aestheticizing a culture. And I think that we, um, and you know, I am, um, I'm really thinking about the way aestheticizing or objectifying a culture and a body actually operate for someone like me, mm -hmm. right? And how I, butt up against that or am complicit in that, mm -hmm. right? And I think these objects talk about that too. Mm -hmm. They get into that too. And I think that that's a, the harder conversation to have. 
Yeah, because I mean, in, in many ways, it, they're bucking against these old masters, right? The Picassos and the, you know, um, and you're bucking against in many ways modernity, mm-hmm. right? And modern. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a post-colonial. I mean, a post definitely a post-colonial response, but also like a post-modern response, right? Yeah. To to take these objects that have been deemed primitive, mm-hmm. right? And um, again, collected because of their uh, because of their uh, assumed authenticity, mm-hmm. right? And because of their assumed nativity, right? All of these really horrible words, right? That are associated with, <laughs> you know, African artisans, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and and you flip them on their head, literally, mm-hmm. right? In some context, mm-hmm. and you um, flush them out with these really crazy colors, and you recontextualize them and, and pull them completely out of context and put them in this art space. Um, and there's something really compelling about that. Um, and really powerful about it because it speaks to a history of violence of of appropriation of these objects, right? Talk about violence. I mean, seriously, the appropriating can be very violent. Um, taking objects and people out of context is very violent. Um, and so often people talk about like language being violent or physical violence, but there is a lot of visual violence that we deal with every day every day and so you know so here's the interesting thing is that so these objects were the original masks were loaned to me by veronica jackson who is an artist and collector based here in dc and when i started making these the first set of drawings i actually was using images offline and she said i've got these masks you should borrow them and i've had them for about four years now five years now and um and what I started to learn is that some of these objects are actually tourist grade, right? And so depending on the way that they've been colored and handled, they may be more expensive or less expensive, right? Like market sets the value of those things. Um, but what struck me is that these are tourist objects made by artists and artisans from the, the country of origin, their country of origin. Which means that, wait a minute, these folks were making it for tourists. Well, guess what? My mother was a tourist, right? And so she was consuming something that, in one hand, was authentic, talk about authenticity, and in the other hand, wasn't. Because these aren't objects that were actually used ceremoniously, right? And so um, if something is not used in a ceremony or in daily life, but then is only made for the consumption of someone that is outside of its country of origin. What does that mean? What does it mean when my mom or me, as um, a descendant, takes on this um, distilled version or this, this object that doesn't have, it's not imbued with a certain kind of power, then do, and my replication of it, is it adding something to it? Is it imbuing it with something else? Like what's going on here? But yeah, I think that there are a lot of tricky layers in all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have a mural that's in the space as well, right? Um, yeah. And that mural um, sort of pulls from the aesthetic that, that I'm most familiar with mm-hmm. you for, which is the figuration that is literally sort of being consumed by or overwhelmed by landscape, mm-hmm. right? Can you talk about the importance of including that mural? That mural went through so many stages. So um, Eaton Workshop, we're at the Eaton Hotel, uh, and um, wanted to invite artists from the area to, to um, sort of have their work in this space. And Sheldon Scott, as our official, unofficial Minister of Culture in DC, <laughs> sought out a whole bunch of folks, uh, artists, um, all of these artists I love, and um, and asked for a certain image. And so the original image is of a white man on a hobby horse with blue balls. And he and the landscape is sliding down. And they were all excited about possibly having that as this large mosaic on the wall but the more I thought of it I thought this is permanent I want a black woman up here and I want this to be about her and this land what do I have to say about 
DC as a predominantly black city and women, my grandmother, my family, my mom, me in this space, right? And so I did one strategic substitution. I swapped bodies and then I put a mask on her. And the mask that she's wearing is attributed to the Lomatoma, which is in Liberia. And, um, and I've been thinking a lot and reading a lot about Liberia and what it meant for uh, people to be shipped back to Liberia and what it meant for them as newcomers to a place to a continent they had come from to be back and the kinds of conflicts that arose from their return, right? And so the title of that piece is called um, Declared and Proclaimed, uh, and in parentheses, The Black Settlers Homecoming. And so I think in, in the subtitle of that title is the conflict that I imagine happening, that they were settling back into communities in a country um, with the ideals of a country that had enslaved them. And so I think that that's interesting. Um, and I think that we are going through those same things even now, right? And, and people who are coming into this country from other places are having the same kind of conversation with themselves and in their respective communities too. And um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was in reference to a mosaic that is inside of Eaton Hotel, which mm -hmm. is beautiful. But you also have a work on paper um, that is inside of um, the gallery space, mm -hmm. in the, inside of the mobile gallery. Yes. And so can you talk about the importance of, of including that work on paper, which is in your more traditional style, right. with those new sculptural works? So, and this is, we were, um, we talked a little bit about it um, as a, I would actually say that that's an anchor of the show because that is the connection between all of that other work, the other work that I do, the figurative work, the way that I make the collages, et cetera. Um, but it also talks about different versions of itself, right? It's a rendition of something else. It's like a, it's like a three-tiered, four-tiered rendition. Um, but also it's just about, it's, a, it's another representation that is just flat, right? And um, so, um, I think it's also important because there are different ways that these kinds of images can be consumed and owned. And that that squarely talks about the other kinds of work that people go and get. Like mm -hmm. prints are typically, sure. what, what are prints, prints as, a, as in comparison with drawings or paintings are seen as sort of more easily movable but the thing that makes that so particular is that they're one of a kind. That you know, it takes it out of uh, how we typically think about prints because each one is treated so specifically or so differently. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to think of some other, you know, the other, um, the other reasons why something like that would be in the show, right? This well, we image. talked about it in a lot of different ways, and we. I mean, I think. Trying to figure out how to anger Sib and her family. Well, the relationship of right. her with the landscape that's behind her and those masks, right? So how do you see all of those things together? Because essentially what those sculptures, what the three-dimensional work does is it separates everything. Right. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. um, lastly, I'm curious about if you have any sort of... Um, expectations or hopes for how people will engage with the work that have not seen that have not seen it yet yeah I want people to think about the ways that blackness and Africanness are consumed and how we still see them we still see it in movies and in the kinds of shapes that we think are playful 
um, how easy it is to consume blackness because of the way that it's presented um, and just reflect on um, why why it's not and we're not taken seriously. I want people to think about value, but like the value of bodies, really. What do you think it means? I mean, I think, you know, we've, like so much of this is, this exhibition is very intentional, right? The location and we think about the masks and what does it mean? Obviously the masks are for sale if somebody wanted to buy them. So what does it mean? Like what's that next layer? What happens then when somebody takes those masks home and installs mm. them in their home like so it, I don't it's I, like so it's like in some ways it's like how many steps removed but it's like it adds this other layer of like well, so I don't know what that might mean for someone to buy the work and take it home because I'm the maker of that work right mm-hmm. so you know I don't know but what I know is that sometimes people buy into things yeah. literally Right, and um, and that you know it's easy to perpetuate ideas that you either agree with or don't agree with, or you're like unconsciously right, right, dealing with. So I don't know. I would like to hear someone who has bought one to tell me how it is living in their house. Right. Right. It would be fascinating to know their experience too, mm-hmm. and the, like the why. Right. When mm-hmm. we talk about commodification mm-hmm. and. It's almost like we're challenging people, mm-hmm. right? It's like a huge challenge. I feel like come in and you know, like take it one step further. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, so you go to museums and you see these, you see examples of these, and and the um, they're revered. They're in cases. There's a barrier to them. But you go into the mobile art gallery, you can stand like six inches from it, right? And and the space kind of smells like. Uh, a little plastic. bit plastic and urethane, <laughs> right? And it's so bright, right? Yeah. So how are you supposed to, you know, that's a completely different environment, right? Right. And even if, even if an, uh, the original mask was standing, was hanging next to one of the plastic ones, would it make you treat the original mask differently? Would you value the plastic one differently? What happens, mm-hmm. right? Is it easier to... Um, deal with uh, a televised version of me, right? Or just my voice in this way or a photo of me than if I'm standing right next to you, mm-hmm. right? That, talk about the power of a physical body and space, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank yeah. you for taking the time to speak with us thank today. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. This podcast is powered by Candor. We help you build powerful marketing content, connect with your audience, and grow your business. Want to become a content expert? Check us out online at candorlabs.com. That's candor with two A's.